The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second-generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. Here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Dror Gill. Today we have with us a very special guest. Many of you already know him, uh, and we're going to talk about all the hot topics uh, today, uh, which are obviously being affected by... By COVID-19 and how will this affect the uh, entertainment industry, the video streaming industry, video in general, um, network bandwidth, uh, bandwidth crunch restrictions, all of that. And uh, our very special guest today is no other than Dan Rayborn. Welcome, Dan. Hey, guys. Hey, thanks. How are you? Yeah, Dan, it's great to have you back. This is the third time you've been on the show, so uh, this is awesome. We've got so much to talk about. You know, the, the great COVID-19 video explosion three months ago, you know, would we, would we have ever dreamed we're sitting, you know, in the world we're in today? But. Yeah, it's, it's a different world, that's for sure, right? In a lot of levels, and it's going to impact everything going forward for, I think, a long period of time. But, you know, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get through it. I keep saying to everybody, facts over fear, and This, this too will end, you know, business will come back. It might take longer. It might be in a different form for some companies, but it will come back. We have a lot to talk about. So let's dive right in. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, let's begin with, from your perspective, let's talk about events. <laughs> And you certainly know a lot about events, you know, having uh, uh, thrown many, many, many over the years. What do you think C-19 means for in-person events in the future? Well, it's a good question. And I probably have a bit of a different take than others. Uh, you know, some people would definitely disagree with me when I, when I think that in-person events are going to come back stronger than ever. You're going to have a lot of companies and a lot of attendees and speakers that are still wanting to showcase what they're doing, how they've done it. They want to be seen as thought leaders. They want to share those technical you know, expertise that they have. Uh, definitely are going to still have companies looking for not only networking, but lead gen. So I think the right conferences next year are still just as strong as before. We're definitely going to have some conferences filter out of our industry. So I, I agree with Dan. The, the in-person event, if it adds value and, and brings great content, Uh, will come back uh, very strong and people will miss it. They will really, miss it. Uh, They will miss it. I look forward to and, it. And remember yeah. too, business is personal. Business is about relationships, right? That's something that you're doing. I think I said in my, first, in my very first book, I said something in the beginning. I said, while streaming media has its place, no technology will ever replace what can be accomplished in person with a handshake. Right? And I've always believed that from day one, as much as I love streaming media technology. And people keep saying, well, put the streaming summit online, right? Just... What they don't understand is when you're Adobe and when you're Google, it's very easy to put your conference online because your entire conference pretty much is one person doing a product demo. For all the talk around the technology, the theory of a proposed replacement is always more appealing than the reality of a solution in use. Let's talk a bit about um, the industry, the streaming video. Um, people are mostly confined to their homes and obviously streaming a lot more. Um, uh, Although some content types are not available, for example, live sports. Uh, you can't see any live sports when sports matches are not happening. Uh, but you do get, um, you can get a lot of uh, shows, movies. Uh, so how is the situation affecting um, things like SVOD and AVOD um, in terms of, of the business models and uh, the content that is uh, 
that is available to consumers? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I really think we have to break down different segments in the market. And I do think there's way too much hype right now around streaming. You know, I've been hearing members of the media go, well, with, with the virus, you know, this is finally time for streaming to shine and to, to show its value in the market. I'm like, come on, 2020 marks the 25th year of streaming media technology being used, right? We've proven ourselves as an industry and a business model in every business vertical you can possibly think of for every application around the world, B2B or B2C. So we have nothing to prove. So that's the first thing I point out to members of the media. As far as what the impact is from, think of SVOD, AVOD, and to your point on the sports side, I think it's a little too early to know. You do have a lot of people running around saying, oh my God, you know, the usage of something like Amazon uh, Prime Video or Netflix is super great for these companies. But the issue is we don't have any data whatsoever to show what the impact is based on their subscribers. Because if we're already Netflix subscribers and we watch more Netflix content, Netflix doesn't make any more money. The question is, how many new subscribers do they get? And how many of those stay on once this goes away and don't turn off? We don't know. The only person who has that information, the only company is Netflix. For SVOD, I definitely think there's a bump, right? You're going to see a bump in Hulu and Amazon and Netflix and others because naturally you would with more people wanting to try out these services. The other thing you're going to see is on the AVOD side, you know, Comcast put out information yesterday that's saying uh, they saw a 50% jump in people doing a voice search for free videos, free streaming. Here's the thing I can tell you. In the last seven to 10 days, I've spoken to every major CDN you can think of by name. I've talked to regional CDNs around the world. I've talked to at least 10 different ISPs, ranging from a million subs to 25 million subs. The biggest thing I'm hearing from all of them is that while video traffic is up, it's not up by a huge amount overall because they've lost all the sports traffic. I mean, just think that every single sports league has been canceled right now from car racing to golf to basketball to baseball. Everything has been canceled. So they have all this capacity on their network that they're typically using for sports that is no longer being used. That is not a problem for them to have to uh, have some additional VOD traffic mostly, not live. And again, VOD traffic is easier. But then also the downloads. You know, I, I turned on the Xbox the other day, which I had in a long time, put on Call of Duty. There were two downloads I had to do that were something like 90 gigs in size. You know, what you're saying is that largely the networks are holding up very well. And yes, you know, there's an increase in volume. Um, yes, there is a measure of congestion, but, you know, they're far from, quote, melting down. And yet um, this EU regulator... I kind of view it as strong-armed <laughs> the services to, you know, reduce their traffic by 25%. What's up with that? So it's just politics. Right. I mean, there was this debate online of like, why would they, why would Google or, or Netflix give into the pressure? Why wouldn't they? Yeah, What's why, the downside? Yeah. What right? do they have I mean, to gain by fighting the EU? <laughs> nothing. I mean, the moment you do that, you look like you're not trying to help in this environment, which would be extremely bad for your brand. So that's that's from a branding one-on-one standpoint, that would be bad. Neither company, either Google or Netflix, has actually removed HD, even though the media is still reporting that they've reduced it to SD only. YouTube defaults to SD, but right, they didn't remove it. You can still select HD, and Netflix didn't remove HD or UHD. They simply remove the top tier uh, encoding profiles for those. Remember, as we saw with net neutrality, 
regulators and government officials have absolutely no understanding of how the internet works. So it's not surprising that all of a sudden they go, oh, we're having an issue in this particular region or country with capacity. Well, we better make Google do something or Netflix, right? And it's like, guys, come on. Netflix is doing this the most intelligent way with the data plane that they've built, putting caches inside ISP networks with interconnect deals. I mean, they're the most efficient out there. Just because they're taking up a large volume overall doesn't mean that it's inefficient. There is an element of being a good citizen of the uh, of the network, you know, Absolutely. of the internet, if you will. And it sounds like that's really what what you're even saying, you know, like Netflix. You're 100 percent correct. They are very efficient in their in their encoding, the bit rates they achieve. You know, we've looked at their at their ladders you know, the new ladders, and it's absolutely stunning how low these bit rates are. Right. That's the point people are missing is um, what is the downside of Netflix doing this to their business? And yet, Dan, you know, I, I where I was going with this is, uh, is that, you know, Netflix has this amazing uh, capability uh, technology. They, you know, they're able to do this and yet you have other services and, you know, we won't name names, but who were delivering 4K at 40 megabits, 35 megabits uh, just last year. You know, Not crazy surprising. high bit rates. In our work in Europe, you know, we'd hear routinely people say, yeah, we need 25 megabits to get good quality. And we don't live in that world anymore where you can just sort of, uh, you know, dump whatever you want into the network and hey, you know. But, but those, those that are doing it at 40 megs, right, they don't have a business model to begin with and they don't have a lot of users. So they're purposely pushing out a high bit rate as if they're using that as a way to differentiate their service and goes, my God, look how high quality our our UHD is because of our bitrate. What they don't realize is your bitrate doesn't determine your quality by itself. Anyone who's delivering UHD in 40 megs, it's just not legit. It's not real, right? Even 25, that kind of used to be the threshold. Now we're seeing down to 15, right, 18, and we're going to continue to see those drop. Uh, so I, I just, I kind of laugh at anyone who's doing 40 because I'm just like, you don't get it. You just, you, you don't understand it. Yeah. And you talked about uh, business models, and I think it's a good opportunity to discuss uh, the new service launches that are uh, uh, coming up. And uh, it's really interesting whether this is a good time or a bad time to launch a, a new streaming service, because on one hand, a lot of people are at home, and some of them have more free time now uh, to watch uh, more content. But on the other hand, the economic situation is not very stable. So maybe they're thinking, how can I afford another yet another uh, streaming service uh, to add to my portfolio? So um, what do you think will be the impact of uh, C19 on the launches of Peacock and HBO Max or Quibi? Uh, some of those have been delayed. Where do you think that is going? I don't think there's an impact at all. I mean, as of now, I don't know if any three of those have been delayed, right? Disney was delayed a little bit. In Europe, uh, they're, they're now out in some countries. They're coming out in more you know, in the next few days this week. Uh, but I don't really think there's an impact. The way you have to look at this is you have people saying there's two sides to think about it. All right, everyone's at home. They have more opportunity to watch more content. It's a great time to watch a service. The flip side of that is the way you really get these services known is advertising and marketing. And there's a lot of marketing and advertising you can't do through normal channels when people are inside their house. Right? They're not out seeing billboards and things on the streets and, and whatnot. So there's two different you know, ways to think about it. But I, but I think overall, it doesn't really impact them. Because keep in mind that Quibi is going to mobile only. 
right? Now, some people are going, yeah, but who's going to be on their mobile device when, they, when they're inside and they have Wi-Fi? And no, they use yeah. large everybody's screen. on their mobile in their house. <laughs> right, everybody's on their mobile in their house. And Quibi is now doing something which I think is smart, which is they're giving a 90-day free trial. So now you truly have a couple months to get users on there, get them familiar with your content and your offering. So Quibi is very, very unique. You, you look at uh, Peacock. Now, Peacock is an interesting one because they obviously wanted to have the big launch in July to everybody. Uh, this month, they launched just on uh, to Comcast subscribers through their own hardware platform with the set-top box. But in July, when they're looking to launch to everybody, they obviously, a big tie into that was going to be the Olympics, which they now won't have. So I think they'll still launch. They're still saying publicly that they're still going to launch on time. However, you know that they're also looking at this and going, okay, July, if we push it back to September and we launch with football, you know, maybe that helps the service a little bit more. The big key takeaway here for our industry to remember is these are huge companies, Peacock, HBO, right, AT&T, they have plenty of money. They're playing for the long run. Their service is not going to be negatively impacted because of something that's going to happen for a couple of months where people have to stay home. So their services are going to be fine. This isn't an impact really to their service. And it's not an impact to Netflix or others, even if some of content is held up because they've had to stop production. Right? Consumers know that more content is going to come. Consumers also know that this is a time in our lifetime where we've never seen anything like this to this degree impacting so many different industries. They're going to put up with it. So I don't think it's a problem. I think the media is blowing it out of proportion that this is really bad for services because now people can't afford it. And it's like, guys, come on. Disney's what? Five, six bucks a month? I don't think it impacts it. However, right, that's opinion-based, and I like separating facts from opinions. And we are going to have the facts when these services launch and when these companies report earnings like Netflix, Amazon, Disney, right? Those earnings will come up soon and we're going to have a much better idea. And so what do you make of this NBCU uh, offering premium download, you know, for these movies that were already in the theatrical window? Um, you know, is is this literally just one of those little blips where it's like, well, what were they supposed to do? You know, they need to, you know, they, they, they need to monetize it. Is this going to signify a broader change, do you think? Yeah, so it's a great question. I think, again, it's something that we need to keep perspective on as an industry because don't let the media dictate what the reality is in the market, right? For a lot of people, perception becomes reality even when it's not. So the fact NBC Universal is making a total of four movies available for download, keep in mind at $20 each, which is more than what it costs for a ticket to see them in the theater, right? It's four movies and it's not their blockbuster. I think it's great. NBU says, hey, for a couple of these movies, they're not blockbusters. We're going to put them online. If you want to pay $20, what they're saying to the consumer is we're going to give you more ways to watch these specific pieces of content if you would like to. It's choice. What's wrong with choice? Nothing. But the idea that this is now going to change our industry and that windowing is going to rechange again since the days of when Netflix impacted it, that is not going to be happening. And we're certainly not going to see that for blockbuster movies. It makes sense. They've invested so much money in those. Now, Frozen 2 came to Disney Plus two weeks early, right? That was pretty cool. So we're going to have this, this window of time. We don't know how much, three months, six months, nine months, where it will be very difficult to produce new content. And this will create kind of a gap in, in, in viewing uh, 
in in feeding the beast and uh, getting you know more content out there. Um, how is this going to affect the entertainment industry in general and and streaming platforms uh, in in particular? Yeah, you know, we don't know, right? Uh, I'm not going to tell you because my guess is just as good as bad as yours. We don't have enough data. We don't yet have a list of all the shows that are being impacted with dates, when they get cut. Netflix has publicly stated they don't think this is an impact because the way they stagger their shows, they already have the next round of shows coming ready to go. It's really the third sort of set, you know, current, what's coming, and then the ones behind that. Uh, Quibi has also said because of the way they're they're packaging everything, they're ready to go with a good amount of content, not just when it launches, but in the months ahead. So it's unknown right now. If we get back to production by, let's say, summer overall, you're talking about a you know, three to four month hiatus in that content production, which overall I don't think is that big of a deal, right? I'm not the one editing and producing this content, but uh, some of this content, um, you'll definitely see folks bump it up a bit. Maybe they drop you know, one episode from it to get it out even sooner. So I think they'll be creative in ways they can still get it out. If this lasts till the end of the year, then it's a whole different discussion. So they'll probably uh, slow down the rate in which they release uh, new, new content so that uh, the stack they have right now won't be uh, uh, gone like uh, in, in, in a few months and can last them for, for a longer time, I guess. Maybe. It's, it's hard to know. And also keep in mind, we're talking about very different business models. You know, that's, that's probably the biggest frustrating thing, I think, in our industry is everybody like Quibi, HBO Max, which isn't even out yet, Peacock, which isn't out yet, Hulu, Disney, Amazon, Netflix, they all get lumped in the same boat and under the same umbrella when they all have a very different business model. Some own hardware, right? Some actually own content. Some own wireless carrier or wireless carrier like AT&T. So we have to remember the business model looks really, really different for all of these guys. And while they might be, sorry, not might be competing, they are competing with our time, with the limited amount of time we all have to consume content in every form. Uh, they are very different business models. It's different types of content. Many of them are different user experience on a different device. So we have to keep that in mind. I, I don't think any of them are going to have a problem. I think the things to look at are what does Quibi look like over the first 90 days? Because we've never seen a service in the market that has had this much money behind it with this type of marketing push. Uh, Go90 doesn't count. And Go90 was a very different service, even though everybody wants to compare Quibi to that. So we've never seen something like Quibi before. We don't have historical data to look at. So they're a very interesting one to watch. Second, AT&T is yet to say when HBO Max is launching in May. All it keeps saying is May. Uh, Peacock, I think we watch, but I really don't think there's a there's a huge impact there. Um, I, I, I think that'll be okay. And then the other thing we look at is what is the impact from all the, the extended or free viewing? So Roku is now offering 30 days of free viewing for some of its premium channels that they has partners with, right? We haven't seen 30 days offered before. Quibi's offering 90 days for trials. So the number one cost for all these guys, which of course our industry never talks about and nobody ever shares information on is customer acquisition costs. Does this change their customer acquisition costs for say for Quibi or Roku if they're offering a much longer extended trial? It might. 
I, I have a question uh, specifically related to advertising because you mentioned the AVOD uh, previously. And I'm thinking about the fact that the whole um, consumption society, I mean, um, we consume stuff, right? We consume goods and consume services. And advertising those goods and services is what powers all of the advertising-based uh, entertainment models like free-to-air uh, TV and AVOD uh, streaming, etc. Now, um, today you can only advertise, you can only consume things that you can access remotely or can be delivered to your home. Uh, and this changes the amount of consumption and, and the types of things that you can consume. And as a result of that, it changes the types of uh, products and services that you can advertise. Uh, do you think this has any significant impact on the advertising industry and as a result of that on any uh, models that are based on advertising? I think it does. I think it has a huge impact and it's it's too early to know how big that is. We've seen some numbers floated in the industry from from third party analyst firms where they're taking guesses. but we don't need guesses. We need some actual data which we'll get from these companies when they report earnings. And that's why I think it's super crucial for a lot of people in our industry who historically don't look at things like earnings, look at them in the next few quarters. You have to understand what's taking place with some of these companies. And it's also one of the things I'm thinking about with Disney Plus in Europe. So you have Disney Plus that launched in Europe and you have people saying, well, this is great for Disney because you have all these people at home that are going to want to sign up for it. I don't disagree with that, but the flip side argument to that could be, to your point, The way Disney Plus signs up people, especially in Europe, and more so I think here, is advertising. And if you walked around New York City before it launched here, there were billboards and bus signs. And I mean, it was amazing the advertising that they did. So does that negatively impact them with the launch of Europe? Because to your point, everybody's inside their home and they can't advertise outside. I don't know. None of us know. Only Disney knows the answer to that. Uh, but to your point, advertising is definitely going to be overall an issue. You already have some public companies um, that have talked about uh, the impact it's going to be. I believe WPP has already said that they've have to they're going to have to restate their earning estimates uh, for the quarter and we're going to see more of that from from large companies like that because they truly don't yet know the impact and I think another thing to look at with your question is a lot of these advertisers, whether they're agencies, whether they're placing the ads, buying the ads, wherever they are in the ad stack, many of them are global. They're not regional. So right? So what's the impact in the US right now and how does that shift where China gets back online before we do? And what percentage of the revenue comes from what region of the world? Because this is truly a global impact. You, you really have to look at secular shifts differently because in the past, people would look at the data and say, okay, if there's a slowdown in Europe or there's problems with things in Europe, okay, well, it's not impacting the U.S. And here's the percentage of revenue breakdown between the U.S. and Europe. Well, here, this is truly worldwide. Dan, um, you know, I, I want to close with this. Are you able to give a sneak peek of what you have coming around the corner? Can you sure, tell the yeah, listeners? Yeah, because you, you've I'm told me to. and, and I'm pretty excited about it. And I think everybody else will be too. So Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. So 
one of the big things that's been lacking in our industry, I think, from, from really the beginning is, look, our industry is exciting. We all know that. There's so much going on with video. And as a result, everybody's writing about it and talking about it. But the problem is the vast majority of people in the media who write about our industry don't actually know anything about it. One of the things that I hear from, and I talk to so many people every day, whether they've been in the industry a long time like you guys have, or it's somebody who's been in the space three years, everybody's trying to get up to speed and, and learn about what's taking place in the industry on a daily basis. But how do you do that when there's you know 500 different websites literally reporting on different aspects of the news and many of them aren't doing a great job? Well, I think what you need is you need a website that aggregates all the best news in the world in one place for our industry. So I'm going to be launching a news aggregation site that's going to be curated by humans like us, not AI, that every day, instead of trying to recreate what everybody else is all creating, highlight the best stuff that's out there and provide commentary on it and allow people on LinkedIn and Twitter to discuss it. And it's also going to list events. It's going to list meetups. It's going to list podcasts. It's basically going to be the best place to go for information from a trusted source that's been curated. Every single time someone writes something about Netflix, you can literally find in your Google RSS feed or in Google News Alerts, you know, literally 500 articles in one day. How do you pick the right one to read? Well, people in the industry are going to tell you. It's not just going to be me, right? It's going to be others that are going to be able to curate this news. So... I think it's important we have news from a trusted source. I think it's important that our industry is represented well. This is going to be ottvideo.news. That's going to be the site. Uh, it's not up yet. It'll be up. Maybe by the time people listen to this, it'll be up. But I'm looking to launch it mid-April. And the goal here is really just help inform, educate, and empower our industry. Amazing. Really an amazing initiative. And, um, um, and I think there'll be a lot of... Uh... Uh, demand for that because as you said people are looking for uh, good information curated information and not uh, go through hundreds of articles trying to find uh, uh, the right information for them so thank you very much for this initiative. yes and, and and the other thing too the other thing is going to highlight too is things that we were talking about earlier like data and financials i am amazed at how many people in our industry never read a PL sheet or don't know how from public companies and you don't need to read a PL sheet. You just need somebody who's read it and then says, okay, here's the five key takeaways from the financials. Because that is super, super important for us to understand the fundamental basics of how our industry works, because that's how we should judge success, not based on how many times an app was downloaded or how many views somebody got, but financials, CapEx, OpEx. PNL, how you're tracking everything, right? We need more people in our industry to truly understand the business side of what's going on. Well, Dan, um, this is amazing. And of course, we'll stand with you to help promote this. And, uh, and, and uh, maybe we can twist your arm to get the podcast on there. Absolutely. It'd be great to have your podcast on there. Podcasts like yours are ones that we're going to going to be featured on the site they're going to be highlighted events that i really like will be highlighted meetups from all over the world right the stuff that democst is doing as well that'll be highlighted so anybody who who has great content i want to feature free of charge so thank you very much dan this has been a uh, very interesting and enlightening conversation uh, we really like the viewpoint that you bring which is both both um, optimistic and realistic and uh, we all hope for uh, better times and uh, surely we'll have you here uh, back again Sounds good. Thanks very much, guys. Yeah, thanks, Dan. 
Have a great day. Stay safe. Thank you, you too. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders Podcast, a production of Beamer Limited. To begin using Beamer's Codex today, go to beamer.com forward slash free to receive up to 100 hours of no-cost HEVC and H264 transcoding every month.